Oh man, hello my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is episode 281, and it's called Swords and Plows and the Great Unmasking. That's what I'm calling it, this moment that we are in. I'm calling it the Great Unmasking. So, um... We're on a roll here. Let's do another sermon, shall we? And another sermon from the book of Isaiah, because there are these prophets who arose uh, roughly 2,500 years ago and did something in a sort of collective, coherent way that was quite new. Um, and when you read the, these prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures, they're, they're, they're doing wonders for me in grounding and centering me in this moment that we're in. Um, and uh, this is new, but that's the beauty of an ancient text, is it shows you that what's new is often really old, and especially something new and vital that feels like it's a turning of the ages. Then you go back and you find out that we've been at somewhat similar moments before, um, where great numbers of people called out what was wrong and things tilted, they shifted. And the prophets, to me, they're, uh, they're fascinating because of how many of the things that they talked about are what we're talking about today. So what I want to do is I want to show you... Uh, um, a specific line from the prophet Isaiah that you've probably heard before. But then what I really want to do is show you the lines around that line, the passages around that passage, because there's, there's a pattern here. There's a way that it works. And I, and I want to lay it out for you as, as like simple and elegantly and, uh, and elementally as possible. Like, this is like a way, a movement, and when you see it, whoo, okay, so anyway, that's enough hype. Are you with me on that? That's enough setup. Let's just go right to it. In Isaiah chapter 2, you have this line, the prophet is imagining a new day, and the prophet says the divine will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Oh, and you've heard that line, right? They will train for war. They will not train for war anymore. But it's that line, they'll beat their swords into plowshares. That one, that's like greatest hits, right? I mean, that one made it across the ages. We've heard that. That one still is brought up again and again and again. Yeah, it's because it's a great line. They will beat their swords into plowshares. So what the prophet essentially says is, in this burst of wild imagination about where humanity could go, the prophet says, they'll take all that energy that they've been using for dominance, conflict, and brutality, They'll take all that energy that they've been using to amass weapons 
to conquer and defeat their enemies. All that energy is going to be taken, not for conflict, war, and destruction, but it's going to be used in a whole new way, not for the making of swords, but they'll beat those swords into plowshares. Now, the plow, the plow is fascinating because in ancient Hebrew consciousness, the plow obviously is a farming implement. It's for tilling the earth, planting seeds so that a crop can grow, so that you can have a harvest, so that everybody can have enough. And in ancient Hebrew consciousness, that every table is an altar because the table is where you eat. And where you eat is where you receive the gift of food from the earth that sustains you in the most literal, practical, everyday sort of way. So every table is an altar, meaning when you come to eat, you are entering in to a literal, tangible act of gratitude that the earth is fully capable of providing what everybody needs. Yeah, so you say thanks. And of course, there were all sorts of ancient prayers about saying thanks for the divine, for the abundance of the earth. Yeah, so when you see this word justice, which the prophets use this word justice a lot, for many people, the word justice refers to like, it's a legal term, like a trial, the guilty get what they had coming. And that is a part of justice. But in the, in the larger Hebrew thought that the, the prophets come, that our prophets are sort of steeped in, justice is the far larger state of everybody having what they need. Food, protection, safety, uh, legal recourse to argue their case if they're being oppressed. Are you with me on this? So when you see justice, think abundance, think plenty, think everybody having enough. And when the prophet casts this vision about a whole new world, the prophet says, there are all these massive energies that are being spent to keep some in power, to keep others oppressed, to dominate, to subjugate. But those energies are going to be turned to proper cultivation of the earth so that everybody can have enough. Because that is not just the ideal, but the normal state of things. Ooh, now, that is a new vision. That is a new day. That is a new way of ordering things. Now, I wanted to show you that line because it happens right away in Isaiah chapter 2, this radical vision. But most of the first part of the book of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, are not wild, imaginative visions of a whole new world of peace and love and justice. They are scathing condemnations of the present arrangement and of the current order. So here's the observation. In the prophets, and you'll see this again and again and again, you cannot have the new world until you have fully named and unmasked all that's wrong with the present world. You cannot have a new 
higher, better order until you have been brutally honest with everything that is corrupt and destructive about this order. Side note, 2020, I would argue that, that we're in the midst of one of these. I call it the great unmasking. It's, it's a disclosing of just how deep and just how far the injustices go, how off the system is. It's the great naming, the great disclosing, the great unveiling, the great unmasking, the great exposing, the great here is the list of just what's wrong with this present arrangement. Now, the, the word that we're hearing over and over again is conversation. We have to have a conversation. We should have a conversation. The prophet, I mean, conversation's fine, um, but, but man, it goes way, way, way deeper than that. It is a clear and powerful, articulate naming of everything that is wrong with this present order. And for the prophets, you can't get to the imagination in the new world without going through this. Do you see why the prophets show us? It's like they give you a, they give you a grounding and a center. It's almost like a filter or a lens to be able to understand often what's happening right now. Notice this from Isaiah chapter uh, 1. There is this, uh, I mean, the prophet just from the beginning um, is voicing the words of the divine. The prophet says on behalf of God, like my people, they don't understand. So right away, it's about understanding. It's about, um, in chapter 2, chapter 4, last week we saw how the prophet essentially says, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. So it's always, they, they don't get it. They aren't listening. They aren't curious. They, they aren't aware. Their eyes aren't open. They're blind to how broken this current system is. And then you have um, just verse by verse by verse lists of what's wrong. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Um, the, the divine says to the people of Jerusalem, I will not listen to you. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Why are their hands full of blood? Because they aren't hearing the cries of everybody for whom the system doesn't work. It's everybody on the underside of the system who's being trampled by the gross injustice of it. Yeah. And then there's this line like, come, let us reason together. So again and again and again, it's this naming of what is unjust and wrong followed by, you can listen, you can reason, you can look at the facts, you can become aware. So in this endless denunciation of what's wrong with the system is this endless invitation. You can stop this way of doing things, and you can hear the cry of those who are telling you something's wrong, and you can find your way back. And then um, oftentimes the city 
which is sort of the center of what's wrong, of the corruption and destruction, is pictured like a lover, like the divine and the human are like lovers. And it says, see how the faithful city, she's become like a prostitute. She was once full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. Essentially says there were these ideals, and they have been trampled on to the point where people are dying. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. They all love bribes and they chase after gifts. So essentially says the people who are there to serve, the people who are there to be stewards of the vineyard, the people, the people who are there to enact this injustice, they have become corrupted by money. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. So money has corrupted the system to the point where those who have a grievance cannot get their proper day in court. And then it goes on and on and on with what's wrong with it. The mighty man will become tinder and his work a spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. It essentially says this whole system is coming down. It's coming down because it's lost the ability to hear the cry of those for whom the system doesn't work. Yeah, and the prophets are unflinching. Now, what I just read you there, I'm assuming you picked this up, but there are a number of different dimensions that are named. So there's one line, um, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Well, those are the courts of the temple. And the temple in ancient Israel was both a religious center, but it was a religious center that was enmeshed with the legal system, which was enmeshed with economics, which was intertwined with military and soldiers and weaponry and the defending of that system. So when the prophet calls out what's broken about the system, what you see again and again is that the system is actually all sorts of separate systems that are all bled into each other because the injustice is systemic. So when you hear this phrase systemic, you can see this in prophets calling out the wrongs of a different time in a different place, literally thousands of years ago. But when they call it out, what they're calling out is military, legal, cultural, religious, economic, it's all related. So the prophets intuitively understood that this was systemic because everything is a whole. Remember that image um, from, from the last episode from Isaiah about a vineyard? And in a vineyard, everything is related to everything else. So, um, in, uh, we have, there's a term, emergent holism, also called an epiphenomenon. That's what happens when two cells, a number of cells bond together and form something new, but that new something has qualities that you can't find at the earlier level of cells. In the same way that a whole group of atoms bond together, 
to form a molecule, but that new molecule, which is made up of those atoms, has properties that none of those atoms have. You add a whole th group of things together, and you get something that has qualities that you can't find those characteristics. You can't find them in any of the things that make up the thing. It's like two plus two equals nine. That's called emergent holism or an epiphenomenon. It's like those five basketball players, they aren't really that spectacular, but you put those five basketball players together and something happens, they're greater than the sum of their parts, might be the way that we normally say it. Yeah, so what you see here, there's, there's the good version, then there's the other version, which is when things become systemic, it's not just this wrong, it's not just this injustice, it's not just this bribe or this corruption, but when it all gets stacked on top of itself, it develops properties that you can't find in any one thing. <sighs> yeah. So, when the prophets speak about imagining a new world, right around all the places where they speak about imagining a new world are the strongest possible denunciations and condemnation of what's wrong with the present order. It's the unmasking and unveiling that has to go on. You got to get it all out. All the facts, all the anger, all the grief, all the hurt, all the tears, all the pain over all the injustice. You got to get it out. You got to march in the street. You got to shake your fist. Yeah. You see, do you see the, do you feel that in the heart? Do you feel, do you feel the emotion behind all that? Yeah, a great unmasking. And when you, when, you, when you can finally get at it all, when it starts to all be spoken, man, it comes out with fire. It comes out with passion and ache and wounds, and it's been held when the truth has been suppressed for so long. Oh, by the way, side note, if you were a deeply insecure authoritarian leader with profound racist tendencies. The last thing you want is a great unmasking. Now, let's think about 2020. What is one of the ways uh, that things get unmasked? Obviously, the invention of social media means that all sorts of things can be communicated and unmasked. Um, if you were an authoritative leader, of course, you would try to shut that down, but you would, of course, shut, you would attack the press at every turn. Because the truth is the one thing you're most terrified of. Yeah, yeah. This is why uh, the prophets were often beaten, tortured. Like if you read through just the narrative portions of the prophet Jeremiah, the number of things that were done to him because he refused to stop talking. It's like it's like a fire in me. I, I have to speak. Yeah, so when you read the prophets, they often went through brutal persecution because there's generally somebody somewhere who benefits from the system remaining the way it is. 
So systems work a particular way. There's somebody who has a vested interest in the preservation of the system. Institutions generally tend to bend towards their own self-preservation. And tremendous energy generally does not, in moments of great, great unmasking, go to listening. But it goes to suppressing those truths because they threaten the stranglehold on power of those who hold the keys of the institution. Now, when the people who have the power start listening, well, now you have revolution on your hands. Yeah. So what we see from the prophets, what we see here with Isaiah, is when he names this, this trampling of courts, this bribery, this corruption, this failure to defend the fatherless, this failure to hear the cry of the poor, what you're seeing here is something very, very, very ancient. It is the systemic nature of injustice, the systemic nature of oppression. All of these things get stacked on top of each other. Yeah, yeah, so it takes a while. It takes a while because what happens is you grab one thread and you start pulling it and you realize it's connected to another thread. So there's police brutality, but then... Police brutality is linked to all sorts of things, namely racism, but it's linked to all sorts of things. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean by systemic. Let me give you an example uh, of, of how when you start to name it, you begin to see how many things are connected with everything. Because what you're noticing right now, if we can name what's happening in 2020 right now, is part of the great unmasking is you're watching millions of people see that these systems are all interconnected and that if you are against this injustice, well, then look at the one right next to it and look at the one that drove it and look at the one that is sitting on the other side of it. You see what I mean? Here's what I mean. Uh, let's start... Uh, okay, here, let's start this. Uh, the United States is the largest arms dealer in the history of humanity. I assume you knew this. And um, mo most people outside the U.S. know this. Uh, they're crystal clear on this. So 36% um, of all arms weaponry that is exported comes from the U.S. 59% of the total sales of weapons in the world um, go to U.S. to the U.S., so uh, the U.S. is between 4 and 5% of the world's population, and the U.S. is responsible for 59% of the total sales of weapons. So um, if you're wondering, well, how many weapons, like what is the arms market, the arms industry, weaponry in the world? It's about a $420 billion a year business. Um, the top 100 companies, the top 100 companies that make weapons, um, let, me, let me clarify, bring in about $420 billion. The top five money-making weapon companies in the world are American companies. Now, since 2002, there's been a 47% increase in money made off the sale of weapons. Yeah, 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 yeah. So American companies like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, and Raytheon are all in the top five. These American companies make lots and lots and lots of weapons. Now, if your question is like, well, what do you mean by how many bombs? In 2019, uh, in 2017, excuse me, uh, the U.S. sold Saudi Arabia 59,000 bombs. So that's what you mean by numbers, like 59 
thousand. Uh, oh, here's another example. Uh, Saudi Arabia has been in a horrific conflict with Yemen, and uh, many people would say that the human rights atrocities in Yemen at the hands of the Saudi Arabian government um, are some of the worst human rights violations we've seen in a long time. 73% of the weapons that Saudi Arabia has used in this human rights tragedy um, came from the U.S. So if I told you that there was this company, very small company, uh, I'm sorry, company, oh yeah, actually it is. If I told you there was a country that was actually very, very, very small in the world population, under 5%, little over 4% of the world's population, but this one particular country absolutely dominated the weapons market. 59% of total money made in the weapons market came from this one country. And that a number of human rights atrocities around the world were committed using weapons that this country makes. And that this country had actually experienced these companies' tremendous growth in profits from making weapons. And if I then told you that this country had personal weaponry, around roughly 40% of the weapons, personal weapons in the world were owned by this 4%. That there were literally more guns in this one country than there were people. For about every 100 American citizens, there are about 120 handguns. Yeah, and if I then told you, oh, and this company also, this country, I keep calling it a company, that's like some sort of Freudian slip, but I think we all know, yeah, it kind of works, even though it's not what I'm trying to say. If I were then to tell you that this one country that has more weapons than, any, than anybody almost combined, that has, makes more money off weaponry, that literally exalts its companies in the public sphere that make weapons. If I were to told you this, this country also uh, has more mass shootings than any other country, you wouldn't be surprised, right? And if I told you that this country also has horrific police brutality, that any, like, like this year, already over 40 people have died, innocent civilians at the hands of police officers, um, you wouldn't really be surprised because you would see this larger militarized system of weapons, money, and violence. You see how all this is systemic? If I were to then tell you that this one country in 1997 brought about its lawmakers, the National Defense Authorization Act, and what that act did in 1997 is it sped up a particular thing in which its military started sending its surplus weaponry to its police departments. So since 1997, literally billions and billions and billions of dollars of weaponry and equipment used by the American military has been going to U.S. police departments. It's called the 1033 program. And by that, I mean um, tear gas, 
grenade launchers, armored vehicles, bayonets, in some cases, tanks. So weapons and equipment that was designed to be used in battle against other countries then began going to police departments for those police departments to use against our own citizens. Now, a whole, uh, obviously, group of lawmakers recently have said, like, that's wrong. But uh, the current president in 2017 um, vetoed all of the efforts to get that act um, abolished in favor of U.S. police departments continuing to receive all sorts of military equipment. So, do you see what happens when you see horrific videos of innocent people being killed, bullied, and brutalized by police forces? Is it's not just that officer and that person face down on the sidewalk, but they're part of a far, that's, that's happening within a far larger system of weaponry, violence, domination, and militarization of police departments, if you give people this sort of equipment, of course they're going to use it. Of course it's going to feed a mindset that's already in place. Yeah, it's a system. It's like you pull on a string and it starts to unravel. Well, then you find that string is connected with all sorts of places. So this is what's happening in the great unmasking right now that we are in the midst of is millions and millions of people are coming to see just how deep and far it goes. And at first, it makes you furious with rage. You're dumbfounded that all of this has been going on. You cannot believe that people approved this, that these, yeah, right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, everything that you're feeling, yep, yep, yep. And here's, here's what's happening with that. All that rage, all that anger, all of that, almost like betrayal. Wait, this has been going on by the people who apparently are in charge, who are supposed to be caring for us. They've been approving what? They've been doing, they've been allowing what? They said yes to what? Yeah, but here, we go back to the prophets. We go back to the prophets. You want to have a whole new world? Then you got to unmask everything that's wrong with this world. Yeah, and the unmasking, whew, the unmasking is painful. It just makes your, like, blood pump. You just, you, got, you can literally get tears in your eyes. You're just, you, you're feeling for everybody who has been brutalized and dominated. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. There's this great line, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, this one has been ringing with me. Uh, talks about how when things get violated, when our humanity gets violated, when our common life gets violated, and that's what we're feeling. We're feeling. It's George Floyd and the violation of human life, but it goes to a long list. Um, oh, by the way, um, I was out running this morning, and there's obviously tons of new graffiti in my neighborhood. 
but there's one that I've seen a ton, which is our beloved friends at Black Lives Matter. It says just Black Lives Matter, but then below it, it says, say their names. And right near my house is a giant mural, and it's just the names of people um, who have been murdered by police officers. And I was uh, running by it this morning and just said um, names, read them as I went by. Yeah, that's all part of the great unmasking. Say the names. And it's so like emotional and painful. And yet, say the names. Say the names. Because you can't create a new world until you can be honest about what's wrong with the current one. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. There's this line, um, again and again, the prophets talk about the presence of the divine, about the sacred and the holy, um, about how there's something about what it means to be human and about our life together and our connection with other human beings, that there is a presence you feel. You feel it uh, when somebody is in great pain and agony. You feel it. We all feel it. Yeah, that's... Uh, but, the, but there's this one line, the fearful presence of the Lord. It's like this, this holy awe and the splendor of the divine majesty when God rises to shake the earth. <laughs> Come on. Ah, oh, when the divine rises to shake the earth. I love that line because you feel it, right? This thing in the air. It's not just some people are upset. It's not just, well, we shouldn't do that and again. And it, it isn't, well, I just hope they go to jail. It's way deeper. Do you feel that at times? Like, it's like a shaking of the earth. Like, what is this thing? I love how the prophets name it. Yeah, yeah, something so profound has been violated that the rising up to name it and the consequences of it, yeah, it's like a shaking of the earth. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, people who call, you know, the, the people who are like they're religious, people who are not, people, all those ridiculous labels that to me don't even get in the way. They get in the way of the truth, which is we all know that there are these truths way beyond any of us, things that are just true, period. Yeah, yeah. And when those truths about human dignity, when those truths about our common bonds, when those get violated, yeah, the earth starts to shake. The earth starts to shake. There's this line in chapter 3 where the divine says, it is you who have ruined my vineyard. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. It's like, no, 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 no. Some of you, you are in charge and you've done horrible things and you have ruined the vineyard. Yeah, so, so when you have that sense, when you see people defend the status quo, when you hear about the head of a police union who's trying to get the four officers to get their jobs back, and something within you just, just quakes with rage. Yeah, the prophets, the, prophets, the, the prophets feel you on this one. <laughs> yeah, and some of the language they would use, it's, it's you. It's you who ruined the vineyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this divine impulse under all this. 
I mean, we've had this, you know, that's your truth, that's my truth, that's her truth, that's his truth. Yeah, but what's what rising up in this moment is our truth. And beyond that, the truth. Yeah, the kind of truth that shakes the earth. Yeah, so these are the gifts of the prophets from thousands of years ago that are helping ground and center me. We're in the midst of a great unmasking swords and plows and the great unmasking. You want the imaginative burst of what a whole new world would look like? Well, then you got to name what's wrong with this one. Yeah, you got to say their names. You got to talk about defunding police. We got to talk about reparations. We got to talk about all the ways this cry has been going up and it hasn't been heard. So there's grief, there's loss, there's anger, there's a sense of disorientation. How? Yeah, 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 it's all part of it. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. It's how you get a new world. And in the prophets, there is this relationship between understanding and destruction Again and again, like it says, therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. The whole thing comes crashing down. People end up far from home if they don't stop and listen. And this is always the invitation of the prophets, is to listen, to turn. Like that line from Isaiah, come, let us reason together. Let's look at the data. Let's see who we are and who we've become. Yeah, so you end up, you end up, uh, last episode I talked about how you end up having to reclaim some language that got lost, like the idea of communal sins. In this hyper-individualized market ideology, for many people, um, the idea of a communal anything is, is just a foreign idea. But the prophets had this idea of communal sins, things we're all responsible for. That's why when you hear somebody who's like, what, what? I, I wasn't here 300 years ago. I didn't own slaves. This is, this is the lack of awareness that leads to even more destruction. Now, we're not talking about that. We're talking about your participation. We are talking about that, actually. We're talking about our participation in a system that hasn't heard the cries, the cries of injustice, the cries of oppression. Uh, yeah, our participation, our guilt, our responsibility. So we're having this reclaiming of some of this ancient language, the reclaiming of communal sins, the reclaiming of the lament Say their names. Yeah. Yeah, that's because it's part of a lament. You got to lament. You got to unmask. You got to grieve so that you can have a new world. Got to repent, which means turn, which means we're not going to allow those people to continue to have office if they continue to approve that money going to those causes. No, we're not about that. So we need new people. We need to elect new people. We need to have new policies. We need to spend our energies on different things. Why are we buying so many weapons when we have college debt and lack of health care? And why? Why? Yeah, part of the great unmasking is the unmasking starts to, which is why you're noticing right now how many police departments um, are very opaque with their statistics. Because when we see what the actual numbers are and we see what works and what doesn't, yeah, then we demand that things change.
yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. It's all part of the great unmasking. And it can be ugly and can be disorienting. And it can involve so much anger and loss and grief. Yeah. And rage. Yeah. Yeah. But it has to start somewhere. <laughs> right? It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better place than now? Right? We know this. We're experiencing this. Yes. So, my friends, swords, plows, and the great unmasking. May grace and peace and truth be yours now more than ever. <laughs>